Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to look for the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show all over social media. We're on Facebook. Look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On MeWe.com, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On Twitter, follow L-E-T Radio Show P-O-1. On Instagram, follow L-E-T Radio Show Podcast. On Parlor.com, search for Law Enforcement Today L-E-T. On Rumble, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Gab.com, search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Again, our website is letradioshow.com. Hope to see you online soon. Calling us from Northeast Florida, we have Dr. Tracy Hembanowski on the phone from firstresponderproject.org. Doc, how you doing? Very well. How about yourself? It's good to have you here. And by the way, uh, can I call you Tracy? Is that all right? Absolutely. I'm old school. I call people doc or doctor, but for some reason I have a hard time doing that on the phone. I don't know why. I I prefer Tracy. Okay, because you're a person after all, not just a job. That's right. Now, you are the founder and CEO of First First Responder Project of Northeast Florida, correct? Yes, I am. Tell us about that, what you do, where people get more information. We are a nonprofit that began earlier in January of 2020, although we began uh, forming the nonprofit in 2019. Uh, It was formed from a cadre of military veterans and first responders. Our background, um, myself as a founder and co-founder, Ann Johnson, we spent a couple of decades as uh, military providers working with combat veterans and folks who, by and large, were exposed to occupationally induced trauma, both on the military side and and in the civilian community as well. The aim of the organization was to bridge the gap between the service professions, both from the military and the civilian side, and to ensure that everyone has backup, that first responders are not alone, and we are aiming really to ensure that our first responders have a peak performance on their job and especially have a quality of life off-duty. It's so important. Here's the reason why. People listening need to understand that a lot of our law enforcement officers are military veterans. A lot of our firefighters are military veterans. And a lot of these men and women went through a lot before they even hit the streets as a first responder where they are going to encounter a lot, a lot of trauma. Yes. There is a, a large overlap, as you said, and, and I believe that's because individuals who have a service-oriented heart find, them way, find themselves in professions that, that give them that opportunity to be in the arena, uh, to, to reference the quote from Theodore Roosevelt. They want to be in the mix. They want to be the person who is helping someone out in their worst moment Uh, as a function of natural disaster or as a function of someone else's worst behavior, 
And when they're in that situation, a compassionate heart gets pretty bruised up. And a compassionate heart, service-oriented heart over time can even get walled off and and unfortunately impacts the first responder in their personal life. But because first responders are so other-focused, it's very rare that they pay any attention to the cumulative effect of their job. I'm forever grateful for our military veterans. And people say this all the time, and I want to explain why. Number one, I grew up in a career Navy family. My dad was career Navy. I grew up most of my childhood in Norfolk, Virginia, where you have predominantly Navy, but you have Army, Marines, you have Navy SEALs, you have all contingents there. And it was always part of my life growing up. Then when I went into the police department, I was trained by a lot of Vietnam combat veterans who were law enforcement officers, and we actually had a few. I say this all the time, and it really makes me sound old, but we had a few commanders, lieutenants, majors, captains, who were Korean War veterans, and they were phenomenal police. They were phenomenal in teaching and showing you how you do the job right. And then lastly, without going into a lot of details, when my career was over and I was, I was in a really bad place for a long time, it was primarily the Vietnam combat veterans who helped me find my path, my way to a better, happier life. There is certainly a cumulative effect of a career's worth of, of first responding. And when the it's time to get off the train um, through injury or illness or age or, or whatever the case may be, there there is a shift that occurs, but it's, it's sort of like a downshift from fifth to first gear. Or in some cases, it feels like someone just pulled the emergency brake on us. Or someone threw so it in reverse to, all of a sudden. That shift of finding a new purpose and meaning is is an essential for folks who have spent their life dedicated to helping other people. And that's your background. I, I did a little peeking on your website, which, by the way, the website is firstresponderproject.org. And, Doc, I looked at your background, and you spent many years in the United States Navy. Thank you for your service. And you were a, a clinician in the psychological branch of the Navy hospital, correct? I was. I was the post-deployment psychologist, uh, and I had the honor and pleasure of working with individuals who had deployed in some capacity, who were operational, m- most of whom had deployed overseas in a war zone and many of whom were involved in other traumatic events that had happened either shipboard or in other training capacities, but nevertheless um, came to me, always willingly um, and bravely, came to me looking for help sorting through anything that we would describe as from a, in a more medical model, post-traumatic stress, but really what I would often call um, just the wear and tear of the job, the, the nature of the beast and the impact on the human condition And we have to sort through those things. So that was uh, my job, was to make sure that people were still fit and ready to serve if they chose to still do that, and to ensure that they could put some things behind them, or at least in a place where they could keep moving forward so that it wasn't uh, interfering with their ability to live a a quality of life that they deserved. And so much of that interference really impacts negatively the home life, the family life, marriages, parental situations. I remember reading something a long time ago and they said, after Vietnam, we had all kinds of names for this before, but after Vietnam, and I'm just paraphrasing, what the red flag that kept popping up was combat veterans 
who were having domestic problems. And that became the first indicator of something that we now call PTS or PTSD. And by the way, I heard you say something about you treat it medically. I cannot stand personally the definition of the disorder. I, I prefer to treat it as a, an injury, a mental injury. Absolutely. The word disorder itself suggests, um, it, to me, it's insulting to someone, particularly when someone willingly puts themselves in harm's way and they come out of the medical, from the medical perspective, they're being told that they have a diagnosis or a disorder or disease. And in some situations, there that nomenclature might be appropriate. In some situations, we're sort of forced to use that nomenclature as providers. Right. But I can tell you that it's it's very insulting to the end user, you know, when many of us would probably not even fare as well as our first responders do because they rely on their training, they rely on their inherent resilience. And oftentimes in the medical and psychological model, we look at what's wrong or going wrong and we don't look to all the strengths and all the resilience. And there's, We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Dr. Tracy Hemanowski from the First Responder Project in Northeast Florida, the website firstresponderproject.org. Ever find yourself in a situation where you can't listen to the whole Law Enforcement Today show? Never fear. Past episodes are available online as a podcast, and you can listen for free. That's right. The Law Enforcement Today podcast is free. Do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast, or simply go to letradioshow.com and click the Be Heard tab. This is Law Enforcement Today show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603. 800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. After a conversation with Dr. Tracy Hemanowski from the First Responder Network, our First Responder Project of Northeast Florida, their website, firstresponderproject.org. Before their break, Doc, we were talking about uh, your, your career in the Navy, treating people been in combat after they came back from combat, and it's all voluntary. And uh, you did the Navy thing for quite a while. About 19 years. Uh, I was affiliated with the DOD uh in uniform and out of uniform, yes. That's a long time. It's a big part of your life. It is. It was. It's by far the most meaningful part of my professional career, and I have no doubt that it will remain that way. Uh, I've, I've. My husband was active duty Navy, and that's essentially what kind of brought me into the community, um, which I believe was serendipitous, and uh, took a commission and. Um, loved my time. I felt it as though the military um, was my community that I just never knew I 
I was away from until I was in it, uh, and had a, just a, a phenomenal learning experience. There wasn't a single person I met with in my time uh, working with operational trauma that didn't teach me or who didn't teach me something. And um, I owe you know any any time I'm talking to someone and and when I talk to them and they say it sounds like you've been there. It sounds like you you understand what's going on. You're understanding my language. And I remind them that there are thousands of people who are sitting behind me and have informed me, you know, essentially making me a mouthpiece or a conduit so that they feel understood. Uh, and that's really been the, um, the honor of, of mine in this work, to be able to bring more people into the fold to say that you're not alone. What you're experiencing is natural. It's part of the human condition. And really taking it out of that medical model and even the social model and putting it more squarely into the occupational model. If we, for example, if we were um, looking in the medical model, we would say, oh, that person is just paranoid. He's just, he's looking around, his head's on a swivel, he looks like he's not trusting anyone, and he's angry, he's paranoid. And the social, excuse me, the, um, the, the social model, people would look at that person and say, oh, he's just crazy. He's just, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. He's out of his mind. And, and Hollywood in the really... occupational model, we would say he's situationally aware. He's on point. Yeah. He's got everyone's back. So if something goes down, we're all going to run behind him. I'm laughing because um, I, I'm situationally, situationally aware. I'm sometimes antisocial. Uh, and some people think I'm crazy. And my <laughs> wife understands perfectly. A lot of it came with the territory. And here's, here's one thing. Listening to you talk, that's clearly evident. I've had so many guests on the Law Enforcement Today show victims of crime, a lot of law enforcement officers that have been, and combat veterans who've been through absolutely horrible, horrible traumatic situations. And they had problems adjusting to those situations and they went to get help. And they met someone, and I don't fault them anymore. I used to. They, they go to see someone and the person has absolutely zero idea of dealing with trauma and police work or firefighting or combat veteran. And it's like they're speaking two different languages and there's a bitterness that occurs. And, and you obviously don't have that. You know exactly what, what's going on. I've had the, yeah, I've had the opportunity to to learn the, the language, the mores, the, essentially the um, first responders and, and military have their own subculture. And anyone in those communities knows that there's a certain way, gallows humor, a certain a sarcasm. Uh, it helps that I'm Irish, so I think that's an advantage there. But just being able to um, to understand that there's a personality and there's a way that people deal with the weight that they have to bear, and sometimes that the way they deal with it might not be socially acceptable outside of the community, but it certainly is. One of the things that we do with First Responder Project is to make sure that we provide education for providers out in the community who want to dedicate themselves to providing service to those who serve the community so that they have cultural competency so that they can endure some of the stories that they're going to hear and have a poker face but also have compassion and be willing to think outside the box when it comes to ways to cope because if we just throw Mental Health 101 at people, it's going to fall flat. And I let providers know when we do training, you have a, an opportunity 
but a responsibility not to screw this up. <laughs> so usually get some wide eyes looking at me, but I let them know that you can turn someone off to mental health for a year, 10 years, or a lifetime. Right. If you, if you make a misstep, and that's not to, you know, increase anxiety about seeing this, folks in this community, but it's letting them know that this is an important responsibility and that it's not enough to simply want to help but you have to educate yourself. You have to do as much walk the walk as you can. So it's going to a range. It's doing ride-alongs. It's getting the education, and it's and then a lot of on-the-job training. Wouldn't it be nice if we can get our politicians and news media to do the same? I think a big part of the problem, when we talk about first response, I, I come from a law enforcement background. If these people really knew what we faced on a daily basis, a lot less judgmental or moral better than thou judgmentalism would occur. And, and I think they'd have a better understanding of what's happening. I think it's admirable that you have first responders who or people who want to treat first responders do that. We can't do that in a military sense. We can't send someone to a battle zone in Afghanistan, but we can send them to Baltimore. Yes, and, and one of the reasons we wanted to pivot from our military experiences as well, and of course we had we had seen many first responders, or what we call like dual designated or hybrids, people who had served on both sides of you know, green side, blue side, or state side and overseas. But what we, um, we know is that in the military, there's a lot of focus on the suicide rate, whereas in the first responder community, not very much at all. Even though movies um, and media portray um, this, and, and to some extent sensationalize are, are folks who serve in uniform and serve overseas, particularly in war, you don't see that same kind of focus dedicated to the people who are doing it on a daily basis. One thing that was very notable at our first summit where we had military and civilian first responders is our military folks came up to us and said, it's one thing to go on a deployment and flip that big switch of having to go into that warrior mindset and then come back, and that is not an easy, many people kind of burn up on reentry, so to speak, and have a really difficult time adjusting from an incredibly violent and unpredictable place to coming back to the States. But what they commented on was that they had really, even as, as military-oriented and, and trained people, they had failed to appreciate that men and women in uniform in the States and the civilian services do it on a daily basis. So as we know, if you have to toggle a flip switch on and off, on and off, on and off, you're going to burn out that switch. Eventually, here's what I tell people. I used to have a psychological tool I did when I took my soft body armor off, and it was the Velcro, and it was mentally changing my mind, changing out of uniform from Cop J to dad and, and husband and father and all that stuff. And I did great with that for a long time until it didn't work anymore. And actually, I didn't see the warning signs beforehand afterwards it's crystal clear we are talking with dr tracy hemanowski from the first responder project of northeast florida their website is firstresponderproject.org if you haven't done so already please download our app it's 100 free we got versions for your android and iphone devices 100 free you can download them today at our website which is letradioshow.com that's letradioshow.com be sure to get yours today this is Law Enforcement Today's show we're going to a short break we'll be right back are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts 
Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Are you buried in credit card debt or student loan debt? Learn how to reduce your debt to a fraction of what you owe. Call now for free advice, 800-709-4389. 800-709-4389. That's 800-709-4389. Back to our conversation with Dr. Tracy Hemanowski from the First Responder Project of Northeast Florida. Their website is firstresponderproject.org. I want to clarify something. It doesn't matter where you're listening. Though they're located in Northeast Florida, they work all over the United States. And their website has all kinds of tools. There's lots of things going on there. If you need assistance in this area, either as a provider or someone who needs some assistance, go to their website, contact them, First Responder Project. Dot org. I love what you do. And I'll be honest with you, Tracy, there was a long time, and, and it, I'll go back to earlier I said when I was in my really darkest days after leaving the police department, without being specific, I was told there to go seek help from support groups. And there's two types at that time. This is like 1990. There were combat veterans and there were victims of sexual assault. That's all there was. And the combat veterans welcomed me with open arms. And we did most of our work, for lack of better words, on a one-on-one basis in a coffee shop. It wasn't in structured groups. Uh, And I felt different for a very long time. They helped undo that. I had guys tell me the difference was that they did it for a year, a year and a half, whatever, then came home. Then they dealt with their demons. And I did it for 11 years, and I had to do it in the area, the same area every day. Uh, and and I didn't get to go home. And that was a subtle difference, but they understood. And that was, I'll be honest with you, a lifesaver. I think the greatest human need that we have is to be understood. I noticed that when I worked with people individual individually and I would ask them to come to one of our groups. And our groups are very irreverent, full of humor, but also very full of very serious, profound conversation at times. And so they would have this nice rise and fall. Uh, But what was notable to me is that when I would eventually get folks to come into the group, I could see them physically change. So their, their shoulders would roll back. They'd sit differently. They'd sit with their back against the chair. In my office, they would be on the edge of the couch with their knee bouncing as if they were, you know, providing uh, energy for a small power plant. <laughs> so the back, the back cushions of my couch were almost never touched. Uh, the only way I could do that is if I scooted my chair forward, it would push that person back <laughs> because they wanted distance <laughs> between me and them, even though you know, we, were, we had good rapport and good relationship. That was the only kind of you know, movement that we could get. But in the group, there was, there was just a different demeanor. There was joy. There was laughter. Uh, and, and I think it was because they were walking into a room where they didn't have to explain themselves, apologize, and get anyone to, to kind of figure them out, that it was just inherently there. And that is in itself medicine. We would take our folks uh, out and do equine therapy, get them out in nature, making sure that what we did was kinetic and hands-on. We did uh, scuba for breathing retraining so that they had a visceral um, memory of what it feels like to be breathing from their diaphragm because when you're underwater you can see the effect if you're breathing from your lungs versus your diaphragm but even just getting them to be 
um, playful and kind of just get back to, you know, to laughing and joking and, and smiling. Uh, and I think that was because all those interventions were done as a group. I think it's great what you do. And this is something I have a bone to pick with Hollywood. I always do, by the way. People listening to the show know this. First of all, their portrayal of people, whether it be combat veterans, first responders, law enforcement with PTSD, they, they paint them in this category of being like Rambos, where they live in the woods and they can't talk to anybody and they can't fit in society and they're extremely violent. And the truth is, that's not the vast majority of these people. There is also this, this thing where, I'll give you an example, Black Hawk Down, the movie, a tremendously violent, traumatic movie. Uh, my heart rate goes crazy watching it. And I was never a combat veteran, so I don't don't have that point of comparison. But when it's over with, it's like they all sigh a deep breath of relief and it's over and they live happily ever after. And you and I both know that's not true. Right. It's not true. They yeah. go home and they suffer. Yes, I think that the idea is that there is a... a um a switch that is flipped and that first responders have an aggressive nature. And I know having spent decades with them, uh, and I know this is somewhat stereotypical, but I feel comfortable saying this, that when, when there is an energized sense of defensiveness or what may be perceived as anger, it's coming from a place of love and defensiveness that if something is going on, I mean, these are the, as, as many have said, the sheepdogs of society and so the sheep want to look at the sheepdog and say, you are acting like a wolf, and I do not like that. I do not appreciate that. And the sheepdog, and, and, and that comes from when the sheep kind of stray away from the flock, and so the sheepdog has to leave the flock to go get the sheep, and he may or she may or may not you know, nip the sheep in the leg a little bit to kind of say, hey, get back with your, your group here, because while I was going to get you, they were unprotected. But the sheep wants to look at the sheepdog and say, well, that hurts my feelings. I don't like that you nipped me in the leg. Not taking any responsibility for having <laughs> strayed away or step, you know, calling call outside the lines or whatever is going on, breaking the law or whatnot. And so the sheepdog is, is sort of in this catch-22 that they are either going to be seen as a wolf or disparaged as acting like a wolf. But the sheep don't want to understand or choose maybe to put their head in the sand about the fact that the sheepdog has to behave like a wolf to defeat the wolf. And that turning on and off of that switch is, is unnatural. But we have people who do it every day. And so they also, as someone I worked with um, who is an incredibly wise person, once said, the goalposts have been moved for me and I cannot get them to go back. Nothing is going to put them back. The range of human experience and human behavior is I've seen the dark underbelly. I, I, I see what people are capable of, and I can't unsee and unknow, unknow that. So that does skew my perspective, and that is why my emotional range is constricted um, when it comes to, to trying to be around sheep but knowing that I'm not one. And then I'll never actually totally fit in. There, there came a point where I had to learn how to be comfortable with that, that – I hate this term, acceptance. I had to accept that I was never going to be the 18, 19-year-old kid I was before all this bad stuff happened, before all these bad things I experienced. And, and part of it, quite honestly, without going into details, when I had to be very violent, Tracy, it was devastating to me afterwards uh, because that's not who I am as a person, but I know I'm capable of being that way if need be. 
Yes, and I think what people don't realize, it, it's, I would love to tell first responders to have pride in, in the fact that they, they sometimes don't feel like they belong. That's what makes them good at their jobs, and that's what puts them in that, in that cadre of people who are willing to, to deal on the fringes of, of experience. But what people don't necessarily understand and don't see is that when there's exposure to trauma or threat or tragedy, it can take a couple of different, a person can be in a couple of different roles. So they can be receiving trauma, they can be witnessing trauma, and they can be participating in their very own trauma. And that can happen all in one event, on one call of one shift of a 30-year career. Absolutely. You can go, I always said it, you can go from absolute sheer boredom, bored out of your skull, to being involved in an absolute life and death situation within a matter of seconds. And these things in my career happened very quickly, very unexpectedly. Uh, the first two were over very quickly. The second two were long drawn out affairs. And I said things, I screamed, I made noises that if they were on body camera, I think I'd be shocked to hear uh, that that's how I behaved. When we return to our conversation, we're talk more about, someone said the unique demands for the first responder law enforcement world. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Have you been diagnosed with lung cancer or mesothelioma? Did you spend your life working hard in a shipyard or in the railroad industry? Were you a pipe fitter in the oil or gas industry? Or maybe you worked in construction or you're a proud Navy veteran. If you worked in any of these industries, it's a high likelihood you worked around or near asbestos in your lifetime. And if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer or mesothelioma, you may be entitled to significant compensation. Our attorneys have been fighting hard for years to win our customers the compensation they're entitled to for their pain and suffering. So if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer or mesothelioma, call right now for help. This commercial is paid for by Airtime Media, and I'm a non-attorney spokesperson. 800-876-2542-800-876-2542-800-876-2542. Again, that's 800-876-2542. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. Back to our conversation with Dr. Tracy Hemanowski from the First Responder Project of Northeast Florida. Do not be confused because they're located in Northeast Florida, Jacksonville, St. Augustine, that area. They provide services all across the United States. Their website is firstresponderproject.org. Before we end the break, Tracy, I made reference to the unique demands of law enforcement. And when I say that, especially nowadays, we have such a strong anti-police climate. And I'm just give a brief example. When I was a rookie police and through my career, we were trained in something we called verbal judo at the time. And a lot of it was using harsh language to try to prevent having to use physical force to talk someone down off of the threatening posture they might be in. 
And when people saw that or heard that, we always looked like jerks. It never failed. So now when people see that, they go, that guy's just a jerk. He's power hungry. He was abused as a kid. He was bullied. And he's trying to, he's on a power trip. And that's not the reality of why a lot of that is done. What can we do to start getting society to understand the demands and why our law enforcement people sometimes behave the way they do? One of the primary things that I think is helpful for the community to understand is that when you are on the receiving end of a, of a call, whether it be an accident or you're getting pulled over, um, that when you're dealing with a first responder, you have no idea, nor could you, um, have any idea what they just experienced earlier in their day. The call before that could have been uh, a call involving a tragedy involving a child. It could have uh, per- hit that person very close to home. Um, they could have been uh, in a they're getting their first few winks of sleep before the tones go off. If they're fire rescue or EMT, or if they, you know, we we never really know what was happening right before that moment. I think that people would have a lot of compassion and far less defensiveness if they took the time to think, okay, this is a person who only gets calls when things hit the fan. Right. And so, so having a, a bit of appreciation or consideration for that, I think, would be would go a long way in terms of individual interactions with first responders. We we expect first responders to have a professionalism about them and an understanding of mental health and substance abuse and suicide uh, to be to be stoic, to discern the nuances, to to understand all the you know the potential need for escalation of force or de-escalation of force when to um, hold back as opposed to approach there's and in these decisions sometimes impossible decisions in the middle of a standoff or other things are made in milliseconds these that our, our brain then later beats us up when we when we go through things and we think why didn't i do this or could i have done that and we do all the what ifs and the if onlys because when trauma is happening when something um, is occurring to us, we, of course, first responders rely on their training and their experience, which gives them that wisdom. But those, that decision-making process is at lightning speed. And so that's another thing for our folks in the, in the civilian or our citizens in the community to appreciate that there, is a, there are things that, go, that factor into decision-making that we can't appreciate because we haven't walked the walk. We haven't gone to the academies. We haven't had the experience. Some of that experience of which may have been traumatic to the to the first responder as a human being um, in their role as a parent in their role as a um, uh, a provider that below underneath every badge and underneath every uniform is a person that is susceptible to exposure to all these things, especially the totality of it. I remember the first time, and actually, has happened every time I was shot at. I was devastated emotionally because my mind said, this person doesn't even know me. They don't know who I am. They don't know anything about me, and they're willing to kill me. And it was very personal. I know it wasn't done to me personally. It's because they're trying to avoid arrest, but I couldn't help that. One of the things that I think there's a big difference people don't understand, we, it's all right to expect the best from our law enforcement. I do. Uh, as a sergeant on a job I did, I still do as, as a retired civilian, but I don't think we have the same expectation levels uh, of our combat veterans when they're in theater. It is a it is a different paradigm, 
again, I think that there is a sensationalism and there's an extremity of war, but there are also rules of engagement and there is... Um, there is a, a, a societal understanding of, okay, so there is a fight on, and that we're going to go to the fight, our military are going to go, and they're going to persevere, and they're going to they're um, have victory, and that we want to support that. And for some people, they're not thinking about that at all, but for within the military community, um, there is this, this appreciation for the need for uh, certain tactics, certain procedures, even even without knowledge of them. When it comes to the civilian world, we don't necessarily appreciate the layers of procedures and, and other experiences that are happening for folks that lead to those moments of go, no, go, make a decision, pull back. Uh, and there's a tremendous amount. In some cases, there is that push-pull of the man or the woman and the uniform. For example... Uh, I tell our, our military folks that two people go to war, the warrior and, and the human. And there is the human is always watching the warrior. And those two are going to have a conversation at some point, and that's a, that's a terrifying conversation to have. And I think the same thing happens for our first responders, that they are performing and making decisions and operating in uniform. But when they take the uniform off and they go home and their kids jump on them and someone asks, how was your day? And they can't even put words together because their day was, was just something that we couldn't even necessarily tolerate a minute of. Or it's not even something that we would want to even portray in the media because it's just not palatable to the, the human spirit. We, we really need to consider what we don't know. And, and for us as citizens, too, we really, we need people to be better. We all need to be better. We need to be more kind. We need to be more considerate. We need to be thoughtful of the things we don't know. And yeah, it would be nice if everybody did that. Combined with humanity is essential. I, I work on those things right there. You just mentioned daily. And like I said, I'm, I'm a happily married guy, and I have the support of my wife, who also helps keep me in line when I'm not as kind and compassionate and, and having as much empathy as I should, she helps remind me. First Responder Project in Northeast Florida. Tell us about your organization, what you do, and how people can get involved. We are an organization that is designed to provide resources and opportunities outside, external, to first responder departments and agencies. We are designed to be either in the virtual world or in person a consortium of, of resources that people can use to restore their sense of purpose, their meaning, their sense of humanity, to decompress, to unload, whether it be with someone who is a behavioral health person or a peer. Uh, our primary services are to provide education about the occupational wear and tear of the job of first responding. That's in the form of state of the service forums, summits, uh, and training opportunities um, at the departmental and agency level. And also for families, we have a family forum that happens every month so that family members can call in and have fellowship with each other as well. That's very, very important to us. The second is collegial connections. So first responders and family members having opportunities, whether it be on their blog, on the website, um, interviews with 
some of our um, our nonprofit staff that if people are willing to put that out there, um, we very much are interested in people who walk the walk of the job and are willing to talk about the impact of the job on mental health and family. And I'm sure it's like everything else, fundraising is a big issue. Can people make donations right on your website? Absolutely. I I was just going to mention one of our our big pieces is recalibration retreats for first responders and a primary support person. We would would really love that support for first responders. Um, Folks can go on our, um, they can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and of course on the website. All of our donations go direct service. Um, our cadre of people involved in our nonprofit, from our founding board to our advisory board, are all volunteers. So we are looking for folks who are invested in our organization to give to um, in-kind donations, to give monetary donations, to volunteer, to provide corporate sponsorship, individual sponsorship, so that we can provide these um, services to our first responders. Dr. Tracy Hemanowski, thanks for your service. Thanks for all you do. And thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thanks so much for having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest in your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.